Okay, I'm really happy to be here We're, uh, with my good friends, Brad and Gary and Michael, and appreciate their patience with me as we figure out the technical aspects of this interview. But this is not the first time we've tried this. We're doing this again. But uh, let's, uh, let's start with you, Brad. Give us some little background about yourself and, uh, and the person that you lost. You bet. Um, my name is Brad Schnell. I was married to Joelle for just a little over 30 years. We had four beautiful children, have four beautiful children, all of whom have families of their own, with the exception of our youngest, who's on a mission in Santiago, Chile right now. He's been out a year. Um, Joelle was diagnosed with glioblastoma, cancer, brain cancer, uh, incurable. <clears throat> There's been a couple of people throughout the last 20 years that have lived beyond 24 months, but for the most part, it uh, did its uh, job pretty quickly. I spent the first 12, 13 months of once we learned about the diagnosis, trying to figure out how to fix it. Uh, we traveled to Dallas, to San Francisco, uh, to Denver to see specialists that were world-renowned surgeons that could potentially give us a different diagnosis or a different prognosis. And finally, we realized that the standard of care uh, could be accomplished in, in the Portland area. And um, we went through that process and tried something called Novacure that um, once they shaved her head and after they had performed two surgeries to remove cancer that was close to the surface, um, she wore this cap that um, projected electrical current through her brain that disrupted the cell division process. And it, um, we found success with that. However, the, um, the cancer cells crept through the spinal fluid into her spine and, and that was inoperable. It had just grown in and through the, the vertebrae and um, when they tried to operate on that, it, it all they could do was kind of remove some of the surface, but it was inoperable. And so in June of 2018, she went into palliative care, um, which I soon learned was the beginning of the end. Um, and she passed away on September 2nd, 2018, after about 18 months of fighting that. Joel was probably the kindest person I've met. She had an infectious personality. And I knew that if I had hitched my wagon to hers, that wherever we went, we'd have friends. She was able to meet two of her grandchildren, two of her seven grandchildren at this point, before she passed away. But we, uh, we know we have an eternal family. And that gives us a tremendous amount of hope and peace through this tragedy. Thank you, Brad. 
I think you're probably you might be right. She might be the kindest person I ever met as well. Gary. Uh, I'm Gary Bernardo. I'm 67, widowed. I um, my story parallels Brad's in a, a lot of ways, particularly those incidences that can be characterized as sort of guy-oriented. That is, the first thing I wanted to do is fix the problem because everything else is fixable. Cars, houses, anything that breaks, that's what guys do. Fix things. And she was diagnosed with cholangiocarcinoma, which was cancer of the bile ducts in April of 2019. And uh, it's not a very popular cancer. Uh, less than 5,000 a year and as a result, it's not one that gets a lot of attention or a lot of research and is always fatal. Um, she lived about two years, which was slightly above average. The first year and a half after the diagnosis, she was very robust, fought it through the various procedures and operations and so forth that you, that you try to do when you're trying to fix something. The last six months were kind of tough. Um, she was my high school sweetheart. I married her uh, just out of college, but I met her on her 16th birthday. And we, through high school and college, we dated and courted and were engaged and got married. And so I sort of grew up with her in many ways as I transitioned, as we both transitioned from teenagers to young adults to middle-aged to I'm not going to say elderly, but more senior population. And no matter what happened, she was elegant and uh, a class act all the way. A little bit of a rebel. We have two kids, Brian and me. Both of them are in the Phoenix area. And uh, they are my joy. They... Every time I speak with them, I feel like I'm talking to Ellen. And it gives me great pleasure to do so. And I think that all things considered, I feel blessed beyond what I deserve to be. And I count those blessings as coming from both our Heavenly Father and from Ellen. Um, even this day, she continues to bless me. I feel her presence. I relish in those moments that fond memories come back. And the other day, I was thinking that I wish she would come home. Okay, you've got long enough. <laughs> Time to come home. Yeah. yeah. And then I caught myself and I said, no, your body was frail. You were struggling. You weren't healthy. You weren't comfortable. You put up a great fight, great show, but I don't want you to come back. At some level, I'd rather come to you. And she anticipated that. She reminded me that after she passed, that I still had a job to do. And she was very clear that she expected me to do it. And that was continued to be a father to our two kids, even though they're in their 40s. 
and be a papa to our four grandkids as they go through their life from youngest is eight to the oldest is 17. And she expects me to be there for them and I have been lucky enough that I can be. I think about her and I miss her every day. Thank you, Gary. I'm gonna wanna come back around to uh, this expectation that she has of you and how you think that you best fulfill that. So don't let me get too far off course. Wanna, wanna swing that wagon back around later. Uh, Michael. Okay, um, my name is Michael Schnabel. I grew up in Arizona. I got married to my wife, Ceci, when I was 22. I just come back from serving the Lord in Norway. And we have two children. One is, um, they're both in there, like 30 and 32, whatever, something like that. And um, I'm really thankful for them. Um, my story is a little bit different than theirs, but similar in some ways, because my wife had been sick for, well, it wasn't like something sudden like cancer. She'd been, it was a very slow, gradual, um, where her whole body started stop, stop working one thing at a time. It took almost 15 years, maybe, you know, something around that time. So, so first she was pretty healthy, and then she lose something, and then a little bit later, something else. And then, and then towards the end, it was very clear where it was going. So it was really hard for that aspect. Um, we lived, and unlike, just, I guess so much of the other stories we just heard, there was, there was no cure for what she had. So it was like nothing we could, was no trying to chase the disease or try to fix it because everyone, it, it took the doctors like years and years and years even to diagnose it. And then even when they finally got the diagnosis, um, nothing we could really do. So it's just something we had to live with. So we lived a lot of different places, mostly in East Coast, Virginia, Maryland, Maine, Kansas. And um, the Kansas is where finally, she finally passed away and that was in February 3rd, 2022. So not that long ago. But um, I still miss her a lot. There's no question about that. So I think about her a lot. And, um, but she was my best friend, clearly. We were, despite everything that happened, we were, we were very, very good friends. Definitely my and from a very long time, we were married 32 years. So I'm really, really thankful for her. But at the end, she was in so much pain. And to be honest, she wanted to die at that point because after being sick for so long and being so much pain, she welcomed it. So I guess what happened to me is just like, it was devastating, but at the same time, I knew that's what she wanted. So that gave me a little bit of comfort, I guess. Still hard, but I have that much. Anyway, um, so I guess that's my, my story, up to that point at least. Thank you, thank you for sharing that. So you were married 32 years. Uh, Gary, I, th I don't think we caught, how many years were you and Ellen married? 42. 42. But we knew each other for going on 50. Right, because you were 16. And how long? Uh, 30 years. 30 years. Yeah. That's a long time. That's a whole lifetime to spend with someone. Mm -hmm. And you certainly don't expect uh, that, uh, that it's going to be cut short like that. So 
I want, I had some questions that I think are specific to your experiences and, and I'll just put these out here. Um, you can answer in whatever order you want to, or, you know, uh, you can not answer, you can talk with each other about these things, but Plead the fifth. Yeah, that's right. <laughs> so the first question is, did you grieve before your loved one passed away? I guess I can answer that question if it's in that particular order. I mean, because she had been sick for so long, I was, it had been a long time since I'd be able to smile, especially towards the end. I just, because it was so hard, I was already grieving and it's like a pre-grieve, I guess we want to call it, because just seeing her that way every single day was, and knowing there's nothing you could really do about it was very, very hard. So I guess that's a way of grieving. Do you think that that was affected by um, the fact that there was no cure? I, yeah, because I mean, what I really, really wanted was for her just to get better. But I knew that wasn't like a possibility. So that's why I, we knew she was going to die. I mean, she had a lot of blessings. I mean, spiritual blessings from God, where she, you know, we both knew it was going to happen. Even so, so we, it was not like it wasn't a surprise. It was still devastating, but it was definitely not a surprise when it happened. I don't think I would say I was grieving before she passed. I was caught up in the moment of trying to be a caregiver and do the things I was supposed to do, wanted to do, as well as try to uplift her and enrich her life to the extent that I could. I think that the biggest emotion I was feeling towards the end was anger. Mm -hmm. I was just really pissed off at God because I really considered Ellen to be an angel, not just to me, but to friends and people and causes and animals and plants and flowers. She was, in my estimation, a stunning example of Christ-like love. Mm -hmm. And I didn't give myself a chance to try to understand the plan of salvation at that time. I was just caught up in a moment and thought, Heavenly Father, you are taking something so precious from me, our kids, her friends. Is there anybody else that's less deserving? Right. Right. <laughs> um, so that was that was my feeling. It, it took even to this day the anger. I think the anger. I, I think I can fairly say that the anger has subsided and has probably gone dormant and the grief has been a process that's still ongoing but I think as Ellen would say you don't move on you move forward mm -hmm. that's what I'm trying to do yeah. yeah I I I totally agree with that we, we've had that discussion about uh, there is a big distinction between moving on and moving forward and moving forward I think is gives much more honor to the person that you have lost. No question. Moving on seems to imply that, uh, you know, it's like, uh, you know, this just isn't in fashion anymore. I'm not going <laughs> to. It's the ex-boyfriend, ex-girlfriend. That's right. They're out. <laughs> uh, that's, okay, that's interesting. 
Thank you for sharing that. On that question, did I grieve before she passed? Um, one of the things that I had the benefit of was a tremendous support system. Our kids were all around and th through the entire process, really. Uh, and I also kept a social media, uh, it's called Caring Bridge. And on a weekly basis, I would give an update in this social media platform about everything we did, every appointment we went to, the discussions with the doctors, you know, how we were tackling this problem, you know, as Gary kind of alluded to the, the guy perspective, we were trying to fix it. And that's kind of, I, I think I used that social media platform as a way to cope with the grief that I was experiencing and used that because there was give and take, you know, in fact, I think you and Steve commented back on that caring bridge mm -hmm. post and and it was an opportunity for me to see people's people were involved in in that process and so that was a positive thing for me the thing that i wasn't prepared for was at the very end because uh, like gary i was a caretaker for the last two and a half three months i was administering heavy doses of narcotics to keep the pain at ease. And I was, there was open sores, not sores, but open places where on her spine where they had performed surgery that never closed up. And so I was cleaning these things and I was really doing things that I never thought I was going to ever have to do. Um, but I was not prepared for her last breath. And our daughter, Kenley, and I were going in to just check on her and, you know, just she had labored breathing. It was kind of loud. And, you know, we had hospice around and stuff like that. But when she took her last breath, I was not prepared for that. And that, you know, that was really hard. Um, and it's interesting. I think one of the ways, and I don't know if this is a question you have later, but the only way I was able to get through, well, you have, you have a, a question about grieving later, but this is before, but I wasn't prepared for that last component. That was extremely difficult. And, you know, I think there's nothing that really can, can prepare you for that. Yeah. Thank you for sharing that. That's a very intimate memory. I, so I was, uh, I was widowed after about 25 years of marriage and my husband had also been widowed. So when we met, he had been widowed and he was a physician. And one thing that I thought was very interesting was that he said, even as a physician, because his wife died of leukemia, and so they'd had this battle for about a year and a half. And he said, even as a physician, it wasn't until like the last 12 hours of her life when it became very clear that she wasn't going to bounce back this time. 
even with the knowledge that he had and with all the experiences that he had had being with a patient at their end of life, he mentioned how surprised he was. He just, it was unexpected to him up until almost the very last. At, At some point, because of his training, he knew that that she wasn't going to survive. But that's that's an interesting perspective. I think that's a really common perspective, but I know, Michael, your experience was different. Well, I just wanted to comment because even though I, we knew, I knew she was, was going to die at some point, it was still a shock when it actually happened. You know, it's just, she was relatively okay the day before, and then the next day she dies. So it was, but it was still a huge, huge shock. I was just like total, totally, I don't know, it fell apart just that for a while. It was totally, I mean, knowing that it's coming is still a surprise. That's all I was going to say. Yeah. My experience was a little bit different. I, Ellen was in hospice house for about six days. And I was not in the room when she passed. And you know, she told me, if you're not in the room when I pass, don't worry about it. I'll probably be so drugged up, I won't know it. <laughs> so the hot, we were on our way, it was a Saturday morning. We were on our way, we were just pulling in the parking lot, hospice calls, and said, Gary, I'm sorry to tell you, but Helen has passed. We were literally in the parking lot. So we get out there and run into the hospice as quick as we can, like that would have changed the results. <laughs> And uh, this was during COVID, of course. So the three of us, Brian, I mean, myself, went to the room. And the hostage people were wonderful. The ship was peacefully laid and covered up and, the, you know, just looked very, very comfortable. And I felt some sense of relief that my daughter said, Dad, Mom's not here anymore, is she? She's gone. And it took me a little, a few minutes before I realized she wasn't talking about the fact that she had passed. She was talking about the spirit had left the body. Yeah. And the room felt empty. When she, before she had passed, even though she was drugged up, narcotics, not able to re-engage in any kind of conversation, the room still felt full. I think we can probably, I think we probably all agree with that. The, the spirit and the body truly are separate. And, and the body, the body gives up the spirit and the spirit doesn't, I don't think the spirit sticks around for a lot of time. Just, they move on to what, what their next assignment is. Um, okay, this goes back to the time uh, before your loved one passed away, did their personality change? And, and, and how, how did it change? How, how did that affect you, if it did change? Joel had brain surgery. And so it took a little while to manifest exactly what was different, but there were a couple of instances <clears throat> where, you know, seven or eight months into it, you know, she had two little grandchildren and they would cry and it would aggravate her. Mm-hmm. Where before, never. Right. Never. Um, so noise was a, something that 
was it changed the, her personality a little bit. She was a little shorter. Was that shocking to you? It was. Um, because of the personality that you yeah, had. Yeah, before she, yeah, the most patient and long-suffering. And she dealt with me for 30 years, so talk about <laughs> long-suffering. So she was, that was very unlike her, very uncharacteristic. So how did you, so how did you work through that? Well. What did you think? You, t- you try to manage the situation the best you can, you know, and um, people were really, <clears throat> People were really kind, and and I think she did a pretty good job of, you know, controlling things to the extent that she could. But little kids cry, and they can make a lot of noise. Mm-hmm. And so, we actually had a conversation with our two kids that had new babies at that point. And when Joelle kind of snapped, "Can't you keep those kids quiet?" The moms cried. Yeah, you know, like. I can't believe you said that. And so we had an opportunity to chat about it afterwards. And I'm like, that's not Joel. Right. And they understood. But that was that was a different thing. And getting used to and, and managing. I find my I found myself trying to manage everybody's expectations so that to kind of make up for that a little bit, so that that didn't become an issue. I didn't want people to to see that things were different. Why do you think that is? I wanted them to remember the way she was. Any other thoughts? I can answer this a little bit. Um, when we, we first got married, Sissy was very, very super friendly, like, like you were describing. She was like, um, she was, um, she could make friends with anybody, and she was just like, it was great. It's like, it was awesome. But as, you know, as the sickness started to come on, and then she started, probably because she was in pain, it just started a little bit, wouldn't put up with people quite as much. It's just like if they, she can be friends with them, but then if they start eating here too much, it's like, I don't want to talk to you anymore. It's like they know that, you know, their time's valuable. Right. Exactly. Not so much. But the unfortunate side effect was that it alienated some people that might have been able to help her a little bit. So, I mean, even to me to some extent, but then I guess towards the end, she finally came to realize it's like, we don't have that much time left. Let's just get over it and just be the best friends we can. So I really appreciate that about her. But, but, But she did alienate a lot of her family and some of her friends. So just because she just didn't want to deal with it. She's, I don't have enough energy to deal with these people. So she did change in that way. Thanks for sharing that. Ellen, surprisingly, didn't really change. She was, even though she knew the story had been written, she was okay with it. Didn't look forward to it, but she, to the end, continued to be upbeat as much as her energy would allow, loving, and, and I totally get what, what Brad and what, what Michael both said. And, uh, but we were fortunate that for whatever reason, that was, uh, it was interesting. They kept asking her if she was in pain and she never was. That is interesting. And you had mentioned earlier that for about the first year and a half, there wasn't a visible difference. So 
So what Brad and Michael experienced seems consistent with the fact that both of your wives were in extreme pain and had 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 very, very big, you know, changes to what their daily routine was was able to be and and that kind of thing. So if if someone were listening and were experiencing what you had experienced from this perspective on things, say there's there's a husband and he's caretaking for his wife and she was lovely and delightful and everything you could ever expect out of a mother and a and a wife and a companion and a friend and now her personality's been you know disturbed what would you say what would you say to him being on this side of things if something like that happened for me that would be really really tough for me when my mom was passing uh, I would get the call Gary come help me you know I'm stuck here in this god awful place and you know, you know and it just tears at your heart. So I was spared enormous amount of grief because Alan continued to the end to be essentially normal in her demeanor, her attitude, her humor. Yeah. Certainly subdued, but I was taking care of the person I loved. I was not taking care of the person I didn't recognize. Um, just something that got me through, I mean, even before to even till now, is just, if you keep, I just had to remind myself, keep the eternal perspective, is that she may be sick now, but I mean, I very, very, very strongly believe in the resurrection and that we're all gonna live again afterwards. So it's just, do you want, and that we'll be married again. Well, we're, we're still are married, we'll still continue to be married. So the point I'm trying to say is, I just like, I can go through, even if it's a few years right now of this, because I know it's the sickness is causing it, I can get through it because I'd rather go through that hardship for a few years now and have eternity later to be with her when she's not like that. And it was worth the sacrifice for that eternity later on. So that gave me a lot of perspective in dealing with it and just like, whatever it is, and there's a lot, a lot of stuff I had to do to care for her as well. It's just, I mean, she probably wasn't as bad as those other two wives, but but she still needs some care. And I just, and just needed just the perspective helped a lot. Just keep that proper perspective. Jesus did get resurrected. We're going to be resurrected. We're going to be together, and that helped a lot. Thank you, Michael. You know, Joel was the the first twelve to. 14 months, everything was normal. She would go for walks every day. She would do all those things that, you know, she did before. It's just, you know, slowly those things changed. And it was only a few months before those grandkids had been born. And it was close to the end. Most people couldn't tell that there was a difference um, until, you know, the whole palliative care thing started to happen. And, and she did hospice at home. Um but it, it, the thing that, and it, just this past weekend at General Conference, it, it, it sunk in my head is think celestial. Mm -hmm. You know, that's, that's mm -hmm. how I had to look at it. That sounds very much like what Michael was saying. Yeah. 
eternal perspective. Yeah. Thinking celestial. I think I think that's that's excellent. And honestly, anyone who is thinking celestially or with an eternal perspective who is outside of the situation is going to have that same compassion. And so they're not going to feel a need for for the spouse or the children to manage the person or the situation because they're also coming from a place of compassion and and kindness, I would say. Um, So we have talked, you've all mentioned about the time, right? When when your spouse passed away, which is really a difficult experience. What was your, what was your experience in those early days and weeks? Uh, where did you look for comfort? Where did you find comfort? Did you feel peace? Did you feel upheaval? Do you, are you, do you remember how you felt? Go ahead, you can start. Okay, I can start, I guess. Um, well, obviously I was very, 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 very tough. I didn't, I wasn't, didn't have a ton of support from the church, which was partially my fault because I wasn't very outgoing and making lots of friends and stuff like that. But what was really comforting was my family was really super comforting to me. My two boys and especially my oldest son who drove all the way out from Virginia to come see me a couple of days later. And then we went to go see the rest of my family. And then later he moved out. So that was super, super comforting. And just a lot of it, I just had to distract myself from, because I, one of the first things I did, and I know other people don't necessarily do this, but I had to get rid of a lot of her stuff because every time I see something of her, it just, it was so painful just to see it. So it's, I didn't get rid of everything, obviously, but it just like most of her clothes. And she had a lot of like things where people are disabled, like her wheelchairs and stuff like that. And it's like, I don't need to see this wheelchair. This is just too much of a reminder. Yeah. Things like that. It was just my perspective. And then, just distract me any way I can. I'd like to exercise, so I got even more exercise than I used to do, because I didn't, never used to go to the gym that much, but I ran outside mostly. But now it's like, I start taking that way more seriously. It was just, it was just a distraction. I watch more TV, not bad stuff, but you know, just whatever you like to watch, and just things like that. So it was hard, but I mean, between my family and just being able to distract myself enough and just having my faith in God that everything was going to be okay and knowing that she went to a bitter place because she was a really good person, I don't doubt that whatsoever. That's kind of what got me through, at least in the beginning and really up to this day. So that sounds like three separate things. You had your family. These are all the things that helped you get through. Mm-hmm. Your family, major distractions, <laughs> and then your faith. Okay, I guess that's fair, yes. Right? I think that's I mm-hmm. think that's actually very, very common. I think especially as men grieve, they often turn to things that they can find purpose in and distraction. Right? If you if you don't have to think about it, you don't have to feel it. I don't know whether that's a, a, a positive or a negative, but it's something that we should probably talk about a little bit. But uh, how about either of you? What were your... Well, denial is always a great tool. (laughs) (laughs) Um, My my two kids were with me um, for about a week before Ellen passed and a week after they passed. And that was where my comfort and strength came from. 
uh, clearly they were wounded and they helped each other tremendously. They're very close, just very rich relationship. And I was struck by the outpouring of love towards me because they were always Ellen's kids in the sense you know, she was the sort of the rock. She was the leader about they're going to do this, they're going to do that, they're going to do sports, you know, but you know, I mean, she, she had the things organized and I was in some ways kind of long for the ride. Um, I can relate, <laughs> you know, um, but the wonderful thing about that is that we were in agreement on the program. Yeah. Um, but they were super, super helpful for me and, and just outpouring of love was amazing. Um, I, there was one other uh, good friend of hers, Corey Wright, who was a godsend for Ellen in her last days. She was super helpful. Virtually no help or no support from people in the church. To your point, Michael, because I was not an outgoing guy. I wasn't one of the cool people. I wasn't, you know, uh, I didn't have a high calling. I was in the bishopric, so I was just kind of an average guy in the back of the church. And to some degree, I was okay with that because the few times people tried to help, it was a colossal train wreck for me most of the time. Um, and then when you and I connected after Steve passed, um, that was, for me, super timely because it was about three months after Ellen passed and I was sort of getting my second wind of grief <laughs> in the sense that I thought, okay, I went through this couple of months of grieving, I'm kind of feeling pretty good, you know, I think I'm getting through and then all of a sudden it's starting to come back again because I really realized for three months that she hasn't come home yet. Hmm. What's going on? Anyway, so that association for me was uh, very, very rich and very, very timely because I think you were the only person that could understand what I was going through. Well, I'm sure there was others. I just didn't know you at the time. Yeah. <laughs> well, and, and to interject here, it was... What day did she pass away? Saturday, April, April 17th. April 17th. So it was actually about three weeks. Okay. It felt like three months to you. Well, it was it three felt. weeks later. My husband passed away three weeks after your wife. Okay. But his death was, even though he had been sick, he had been sick for a long time, his death was still uh, untimely and sudden and not expected. And um, so I was in total shock. Uh, his partners at his uh, practice held a really lovely memorial for any patients or you know, you know that wanted to come and and kind of uh, give a nice tribute to him. And I was only barely aware that Ellen had passed away because we weren't we didn't necessarily we didn't run in the same yeah. circles really, yeah. but um, but. That evening, when I saw you there at the memorial, immediately I uh, definitely felt like I really want to connect with, I really want to connect with Gary and talk. And, and I, have, I have said this before, I'm sure I will say it 10 more times, it was a tremendous blessing. I could not have gotten through the first six months of Steve's passing without you. Oh, thank you. You know, because, because one of the first things that happens is you start to notice that 
you don't have anybody to talk to at night. And it was, it was that I missed talking to a man, hmm. right? I mean, I love my friends. Just because they don't talk back. No, I just, I just, I just wanted that man energy, and and then there were uh, specific things that you and I had in common that I had that I had almost no one that would understand. You know, Steve owned a practice, you owned a business. You know, we could re- you could relate to a lot of the specific um, experiences that I was having and the struggles with. Just there's a lot of paperwork and estate stuff, and and um, you, I could talk to you about things that I could talk to Steve about that that not all you know not not you know my brothers wouldn't necessarily always have understood, but also you were we were both grieving, and uh, oh, that was a blessing. We would talk for hours. I to your point, um, I think with our friends who have not gone through what we've gone through, our grief has a pretty short shelf life. Mm. Well, Alan passed away a couple of weeks ago. I mean, like, yeah, let's get over it. Let's move on. You know? Yeah. Do you want to meet somebody? <laughs> yeah. Oh, yeah. I, I, yeah. I, one of the questions that I had given you before we even met together was, you know, did somebody say, <laughs> uh, Sometimes people say stupid things <laughs> to someone who's grieving. Did that happen to you? And I can still remember this person who I have nothing bad to say about, but I can so clearly remember, I think Steve had been gone maybe four weeks at the most, maybe three or four weeks, and standing at the end of my driveway saying, don't worry, Julie, you're going to find somebody real quick. And I thought... I don't want to find somebody. I want my husband back. I said that lots of times. I just want him back. I want I want him back. Yeah. Interesting. In part one of this episode, we've heard my friends Brad, Gary, and Michael share their experiences caring for and surviving a wife's death after a difficult illness. We discussed how faith, family, and even distractions factored into their experiences, as well as how each felt he had changed as a person since losing his spouse. We've also heard examples of things said that can be unintentionally hurtful to someone who has recently lost a spouse. In part two, we'll continue this discussion. You'll hear about some very special experiences that reinforce our understanding that our loved ones who have passed on are truly never very far away from us, specific ways that family and friends rallied around these good men and how their faith in Jesus Christ has helped them manage their grief. 